what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, American National Insurance, and Spiritless. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most innovative and fascinating minds at their favorite restaurant. On this week's podcast is Elvin Ailey Artistic Director Robert Battle. Pessimism and anger is sometimes more easily accessible than pushing against that and saying, I'm going to create something beautiful. I'm going to create light in this darkness. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to get the audience to do is hear the dance and see the music. Robert Battle is the artistic director for the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater, only the third person to hold the title in its history. Originally from Miami, Battle graduated from Juilliard in 1994 and started his own dance company in 2001. Battle was named one of the masters of African-American choreography by the Kennedy Center. He is the author of the book, My Story, My Dance, Robert Battle's Journey to Alvin Ailey. From carrying a hammer in his dance bag to living at the YMCA while attending Juilliard, Robert's path has not been an easy one. And you might say 
That is his superpower. He explains that far better than me during our time together. Please enjoy my conversation with Robert Battle. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday morning. Of course. Of course. To Dine For is all about using food as the beginning of a conversation and then to understand someone's career and journey. And I know that you grew up in a section of Miami. And I'm really curious, two questions. First of all, your favorite restaurant in New York City. But let's begin with what food reminds you of growing up in Miami and what do you miss and what do you crave about your childhood food wise? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> you know, we were very big on cookouts, right? I mean, yes. You're there you're in Miami. It's it's the kind of weather that can handle it all year round. Right. I'm a big barbecue guy. I'm a rib mm. guy. Mm. So, so those are the things I even was able, like so we tour everywhere. And so you think while in Paris, one would just have duck confit and that kind of thing, which I love. But I managed to find a rib joint. <laughs> In Paris? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the people who ran it happened to be from Texas. You know, they oh did. Oh, my gosh. You know, and they just moved there and they wanted to start a restaurant. So I was there every day. Okay. Much. So that begs the question. I, too, love ribs. Yes. And I spent a lot of my career in Arkansas and going to Memphis and rendezvous ribs. Where do you go in New York City for ribs? Wow. You know, <laughs> I know that's that's one of those things that can really divide people. Oh, it can. I know. (laughs) I sometimes dinosaur barbecue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I want to get, you know, sort of fancy. um, Blue Smoke. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Yeah. Blue Smoke. The Danny Meyer restaurant. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's pretty good. I actually, too, I like Sylvia's Soul Food Restaurant. Yes. I like ribs as well. Like they're they're very different. Uh-huh. You know, that's what people don't understand. It's not like sort of. Oh, no. Thing. Right. Is it beef oh. ribs? Is it the rub? Do you want them with sauce on it? Do you want oh. dry ribs? Oh, I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. Well, and so Sylvia's is more soul food. Yes. Type ribs. Yes. They're done in the oven. They're not smoked or anything like that. And so sometimes that reminds me more of my mom's or of home. Yes. Yes. Well, that first of all, that's great. And it's a great appetizer and entree into where you grew up. Because I was reading your bio, they said you were bow legged, you were the most unlikely of a dance candidate. But of course, there must have been something within you that was a dancer that had to come out. Can you talk to me a little bit about when you first knew that you wanted to be a dancer? Yes. Um, the person who raised me really, was, who I call my mom, it's been my cousin. You read that in the, mm-hmm. the book, I'm sure. And she was really into the performing arts in that she taught English for public school, but she also had a group called the Afro-Americans and they did poetry and song relating to the black experience. Mm. So, And she also played piano for the church we went to. So I was kind of surrounded by poetry and music and she loved to watch wonderful movies of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers or Gene Kelly or Bill Bojangles Robinson and Mm -hmm. things like that. So the arts, which I didn't think of it as being called the arts, it was just a way of life. We would sing around the piano and all of this. So they discovered I had an ear for music and then discovered that I could sing a little bit. 
I was a soprano then. And so um, I sang in the church choir and I was picked on a lot. So mm. at some point I started studying martial arts I mean, to defend myself. A friend of mine, his dad was a retired black belt and started to train both of us. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah because I was bullied. And James <laughs> was my friend. And it's so funny because you know how names can sometimes describe a circumstance. Mm -hmm. So James was, we were about the same age, except he was one of those kids who grew faster than everybody had an Adam's apple before everybody else <laughs> had a deep voice. Sure. <laughs> so if people picked on me, I would get James. And funny, his name is James Trimble. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> James would make him tremble if they bothered me. So. I love it. So his dad started to train us in martial arts. Then there was the Michael Jackson craze when Billie Jean came out and mm -hmm. Thriller and sort of, it was taking videos, music videos to a whole other level and everybody would imitate, right? And so I got really into that. And then I discovered that I had a knack for, for dancing and I had the flexibility because of martial arts. I had the discipline, the physical discipline. And when my voice started to change, I didn't want to sing anymore. So I auditioned for dance in wow. school and that began my career. And then I saw Alvin Ailey when they came to tour in Miami and the rest is history. So, you know, not everyone gets to go to Juilliard, right? It is a it is the best of the best. It is the elite. Coming from Miami, I know you had gone to another school and then you had gone on to Juilliard. What was that experience like for you? Wow. It was incredible. I mean, I never aspired to go to Juilliard when I became a senior in high school, um, the New World School of the Arts at the time. And that also has a college component. Mm -hmm. So my thought was that I would just continue at New World and then go to New World College when I graduated. And the Juilliard School came to town, sort of recruiting, and I decided to audition. It was mm -hmm. almost, I wouldn't say last minute, but it was a, a little bit, a mm -hmm. little bit from my memory. And I auditioned, I got in, I remember getting a phone call and I had to reject it though, because of the money. I mean, it was just- You couldn't afford it. No, so I, I let them know. I called and, and, and said that, I'm sorry, but I can't. They said, let us call you back. And mm. they called back and offered scholarship. Wow. And there I was at Juilliard. And it, 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 it was quite a ride. I mean, it wasn't always easy, it took mm -hmm. some adjustments. That was my first time really away from home for, you know, that long period of time. You're in New York City. It's, it's all the things, as they say. But what was interesting is, you know, it was a great time to be there. You know, Viola Davis was there, mm -hmm. Audrey McDonald, so many people who have continued and, and, and done incredible work. I'm always fascinated, especially when someone has sort of raw talent and, and, and it has the ability to the luck, really, right? It was, as you said, it was kind of a last minute decision to even apply. So that could have passed you by. And yeah. You could have never have gone to Juilliard and probably never ended up at Alvin Ailey. So yeah. some luck definitely plays a part. But obviously, when people who are thrust into a world yeah. that they are have never been in, yeah. And how do you, in New York City itself, or never mind Juilliard, right? Yeah. Was there something that was your saving grace or something that you sort of clung to and, and, and helped you through that experience? 
Yes. I mean, a lot of things. Um, my mother, who left a little note in my suitcase, I mean, she didn't tell me she was leaving these notes, but I would find them and discover mm. these notes. And one said, your talent is what got you there. Your talent is what will keep you there. She knew that I would question or be questioned or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And and did you question it? Oh, yeah. 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 Because it's, it's such a different world. It's a different world. And you have to think that you're coming from your quote unquote small town mm-hmm. where you're the one. Right. <laughs> and um, then all of a sudden there are many ones. Mm-hmm. Right. The whole thing of adjusting to your surroundings. So that was, that was hard, but I, I, you know, I grew up well, I had great mentors and teachers who said things to me along the way that helped me um, in adjusting to everything that I did want to leave after, um, during my first year, I had actually planned it. Really? Because it was too tough? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I was that kid who thought that I knew everything Mm -hmm. and that the teachers, you know, were fine, but, you know, I knew better. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great story. So I I went home and I, I didn't tell my mom at first, I just tried to get everything set up. Right. So I went to New World School of the Arts. I talked to the Dean of Dance, Daniel Lewis, about maybe leaving Juilliard and coming and going to the college program there and that he would offer me a scholarship and money in my pocket to help me. Um, I just started to get everything set up and I presented it to my mom and she and her wisdom did not push back in a way that would have made me resist. What she did say is that, well, I'm with you, whatever you decide to do. It's just that sometimes when you start something, you might want to think about finishing it. Mm. And she said it in that way mm-hmm. that was such a, a challenge. Yes. That and then by the second year and all of that, everything was was great. But it was yeah. an interesting time. Yeah, because people do when you're when you're in an uncomfortable position that isn't you, it isn't how you grew up. Everyone feels uncomfortable, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's it, it's a question of pushing through it because yes. I feel like they're every. I think it's such a great lesson because everyone at one moment is going to want to quit when they feel uncomfortable. Yes. And, and what they'll be giving up if they, they don't continue on is really immeasurable. Yeah. What does dance mean for you personally? Not from your teachings or, or the, the you've been elevated to the status at Elvin Alley, but what does dance give you personally and why do you do the work? For me, dance liberates in the way that Dr. Maria Angelou would say, as she always said, that love liberates. Mm. For me, As a shy child, you know, afraid to speak in front of people because they made fun of my voice, all of the things that um, were difficult. I didn't really like school because I wasn't very social. But when I danced, I felt that it connected me to everything in the universe. Mm. You know, that, that somehow it was able to bring out my authentic self in a way that I didn't feel I had to reach for anything it was already there it reminds me of this wonderful actress who's no longer with us bea richards who said that being is mortal existence lacking no essential characteristic everything you need you've already got Mm. and in a way that's what dance did for me Mm. that it said to me that i'm enough 
Mm. And so that's really what it means to me. It is the great communicator, right? Because where words falter, dance excels, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a way of communicating ideas that one can't even find the words to say. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. The holidays are fast approaching, and choosing the right wine to pair with your holiday meal can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Holiday meals can be a little heavy, so you want to choose wines that are graceful and balanced. Sanford Winery in Santa Barbara County offers a delightful Chardonnay and a delicious Pinot Noir. Both pair beautifully with your fall favorites and holiday meals. Sanford's award-winning wines are elegant, sophisticated, and show-stopping. You can purchase Sanford's wines on Uncork.com. Listeners of To Dine For The Podcast will receive a 15% discount now through December 15th by entering promo code TODINEFOR at checkout. Cheers. Now back to our conversation. Take me to when you first started as artistic director at Elvin Ailey. Were you intimidated by the role, excited by the role, or all of the above? All of the above, I would say. <laughs> um, to have Judith Jamison, who's the legendary dancer and choreographer, who when I was at Juilliard during the summer, I would go over to Ailey. And this is when, before they had their permanent home, they were on 61st Street, now we're on 55th and 9th. But I would go there and be a part of the summer program. But the excitement for me was catching a glimpse of Judith Jamison in the hall or something. And I call my mother on the payphone. That was before mm-hmm. cell phone. Mm-hmm. Say, I saw Judith Jamison, mm-hmm. you know. So fast forward so many years, uh, 2010 to have Judith Jamison standing there in front of me saying, it's yours. Mm. After 21 years of leading the company, only now I'm only the third artistic director, sort of inheriting this legacy of Alvin Ailey's Mm -hmm. vision. It was all of the things, exciting, intimidating, but I was fortunate that Judith Jamison was right there. In fact, my first year I was artistic director designate 
and she was still artistic director, like president elect, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I still had her saying to me, trust your singular voice. Mm -hmm. That's why I chose you. Mm -hmm. So that helped me even when I had doubts, even when I was faking it to make it, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I still had someone in my ear, like that note that was in the suitcase saying, Mm -hmm. Your talent is what got you there. Your talent is what will keep you there. Trust your singular voice. All of that really helped me get through it. And then the dancers and the audiences, mm-hmm. the audiences love the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. And so I got to be a part of the receiving end of that love mm-hmm. by proxy, you know what I mean? In the sense that they have to put it on someone. So yes. when they would see me, and during the intermission, oh my gosh, they, I just love the company. Oh, I just, all of that really helped me to face my fears that I still have. Because I think once you're not nervous, that's when it's time to let go. Totally agree. Totally agree. When you think of Alvin Ailey, what does he mean to you personally? And, and what do you take with you? And what qualities do you draw inspiration from? Alvin Ailey was a genius, that he had the courage and curiosity as well to stick his neck out. I mean, to start this company, a black man in the United States of America in 1958, on the brink of the civil rights movement, and then to dare in a time of national tumult in 1960, to create a work called Revelations, which is his masterpiece, a suite of spirituals that expresses the experiences of African-Americans in this country and the notion of overcoming through faith in God. It's a message of hope Mm -hmm. in a time where being hopeless, one could understand. Mm -hmm. That's audacity, right, personified, in my opinion. And so... What I love and what I take away from Alvin Ailey is that one has to be completely vulnerable to sort of be able to be a conduit for whatever that spirit is that works through him to make visible this mirror to society. But yet he has such strength because of that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what inspires me. The other thing that I am inspired by is before Black Lives Matter was a rally cry, he, right, was the personification of the notion that Black Lives Matter. Because of the way he lived his own and the way that he, what he created on the stage and the opportunities that he gave to Black dancers and also to audience members to receive that. So, I mean, he's so many things. You know, we have this wonderful film now uh, called Ailey, which is about his life. Wonderful documentary by Jamila Wignot. And also there'll be another film uh, directed by Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much now that's being uncovered and unearthed about Alvin um, that people don't know. And so he continues to have resonance long after his death. I'm really fascinated by the concept of creativity in the sense of 
I interviewed M. Night Shyamalan, the film director, and he talked about when he first started, he would make movies and he was copying what he saw because that's he was just trying to get his work out there and he didn't know what to do. So he'd look it to someone and start doing that. But it didn't satisfy him. Mm-hmm. It was only when he could really find his own voice mm-hmm. that, that the creativity became truly satisfying. Yeah. And, and I'm just hearing a little bit about your journey and especially that those first few years when you took over as artistic director, when did you really feel like you found your voice and were you drawing inspiration from anyone specific and are you still today? I agree. I mean, when I started dancing, I, that's what it was for me, imitation. Right. Michael Jackson, right? Michael Doing, Jackson, yeah. Fred Astaire, mm-hmm. Bill Bojangles, all of that, Brishnikov, whatever I saw, I tried to embody in some way or imitate. And it was great because my mom let me know that was okay. You know, that, that, that sometimes one can think that you have to reinvent the wheel. And then somebody says, why don't you just roll it? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. you go, oh, Okay, because eventually, eventually you you come into yourself, but it it often starts right with imitation. In terms of, you know, when I felt like in this position, I found my voice, that's hard to say because I'm always searching. Mm. You know, I, I never feel that I completely find my voice. I'm always discovering new things or even in an interview, I'll say something that, will surprise me as a new way of thinking about something. And I'll make a mental note, but well, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I mean, I imitated in Maya Angelou a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that, I can qu- quote Maya Angelou like all day. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at Juilliard, you know, of course I wasn't an actor, but I knew how to get on the roof of the residence hall. Yes. Supposed to be on. I just, <laughs> you know, I just know how to do things. And so, but I got on the roof and because, at home, I do the same thing. I get in the tree. We had a mango tree when I was a kid. I like to be up high mm. where I would fantasize and imagine, you know, myself dancing in front of the hundreds of people or something like that. So I would go on the roof at the residence hall and I would take her books of poetry mm. and I would memorize lines of poetry, just memorize them, not knowing when I would need it. And I find myself using a lot of that, you know, the horizon leans forward, offering you space to place new steps of change. That's one that's been coming to me through this uh, pandemic. That's so interesting because this is not what I thought you'd say, but it really gets to the heart of what you just said earlier. And that you said that dance is a way to express something that can't be put into words. Yeah. And I thought when, when, when I asked about inspiration, you would tell me about other dancers or dance cr- troops. And instead you went to an author because yeah. that is at the heart of what you're trying to do. Right. Express something. You're trying to express an emotion or a feeling or words that can't actually put into words. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that is an inspiration to me. You know, when she said, you will suffer many defeats, but you must never be defeated. Mm. And things like that, those words stick to me. Yes. And in times when I'm just feeling defeated, which we have during these Amen. difficult times as a mm-hmm. dance company, live performance is what we, we live for. Mm-hmm. I remember those sage words that, help me to sort of get beyond that moment. So I would think like being around a lot of beauty, whether it is beautiful words or visual beauty would be of 
utmost importance to you. Because yeah. in a way, taking that in and letting that kind of saturate you would be actual work for what you do. Yes. You talked, we talked a little about how did you deal coming to Juilliard, coming to New York City. There I was at, this is before the residence hall was completed. We were living, a lot of us at the YMCA on, I believe, 69th Street or something like that, or 65th. Anyway, somewhere over there. And, you know, it had some interesting characters <laughs> who lived in that I space. Bet. This is my first time away from home. So so you were living at the YMCA and attending Juilliard. That was yes. a part of the whole New York City experience. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And I, I'd sleep with a chair on my door, you know, because I was afraid. Sure. And one morning I got on the elevator and there were all these police officers and they said, <laughs> did you hear anything last night? That's not very comforting. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> did you hear anything? So... I had a little radio that had a tape cassette. And one of my favorite singers, and this is because of my mom loving this singer, Sarah Vaughn. Mm. I had some cassette tapes. And that's what helped me to sleep. That's what inspired me. That's mm. what was a part of that beauty that you're talking about that mm. inspires and, and informs my creativity. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, everybody knows I'm a Sarah Vaughn fanatic. Mm -hmm. And it still... Kind of soothing. It's soothing. soothing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. Yeah. So part of your role as artistic director, not only to have a vision for what's ahead and, and what you want to create, but also it's really to mentor and shape. And it's very much a managerial role with all of the different dancers. Take me through a little bit of your process and how do you mentor and advise and bring out the best in people? For me, the best teachers and mentors that I've had, they, in some ways, allow you to, to discover yourself. Mm. One of my teachers, Carolyn Adams, puts it best, and I think this is my philosophy. I don't see the dancers or my students as broken people that need to be fixed by me, the great teacher, right? I see them as whole people that perhaps have not discovered themselves fully, mm -hmm. right? Or in, in a more fulsome way. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing sometimes a teacher can do is give the instruction, but then get out of the way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And let the student or the dancer start to take the information and make it their own. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, and I believe this, here's another quote, sorry, I'm a quote person. I love it. This quote says, in a way, I would never lead you into the path of righteousness, let's say, because if I could lead you in, somebody else can lead you out. Mm. You have to find your way there on your own. Mm. And I believe in that method, even though it can make people crazy. <laughs> you know, why, why don't you just tell people what? To, why don't you just? It's like, no, because then they, then they don't own it in a way. They have to discover it. It gets back to what we were saying about M. Night Shyamalan and that you can mimic and you can copy, but until you find your own way, your own voice, it, it'll never be creatively satisfying, Yes. right? To, I think that's what you're getting. You're allowing yes. them to have the creative satisfaction yeah. of getting it on their own without yes. telling them how to do it. 
Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you can guide, you can do all of that. And I have wonderful, um, wonderful associate artistic director, Matthew Rushing, and a wonderful rehearsal director and all of that, who, who, you know, give them all of that. But I love the moment where I see a dancer find that voice, right? Mm-hmm. Go to that next level. Mm-hmm. And it's not by force. There's just something, there's an invitation to go into yourself. I think the teachers that have did that for me were much more effective than ones that just yelled at me, right. you know, because of course I'll do it while you're standing there yelling at me right. because it's just fight or flight, right? right? But finding your way to that place where you feel safe, great teachers made me feel safe to be what I envisioned myself to be in that tree where nobody could reach me. But I could then be that on the ground. Yes, real vision. Yeah, because yeah. the teacher said, I know you can do this. Right. So I'm here. Oh, my gosh, life changing. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a general question, but I'll let you answer it however you want, because it's sort of a big question. You know, so much of the world of dance outside of Alvin Ailey, obviously, is a white world. It is a world of a certain body type, of a certain look, of a certain age, of a youth. It is a very, very narrow perspective. Uh, And notice everything we've talked about dance has nothing to do with human form. We've talked about ideas and emotions and trying to communicate that through the human body, no matter what you look like or shape you are. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And especially to the young people who love dance and are listening. I think that, you know, one of the things that Alvin Ailey was known for saying that he did not like cookie cutter dancers. And what we mean by that, obviously, is that they didn't have to be alike and look alike and all of that, that he liked individuals. Mm. And to be frank, often that artist, that dancer, who's had to struggle with these notions of what ideal beauty is as opposed to what they feel that they are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in that struggle to resist that or to show up in spite of that Mm -hmm. is the story that they're telling on the stage. Mm -hmm. Even though the dance may not have anything to do with that on its face, but there's something about that individual dancer that that friction between fear and doubt but going on anyway, mm-hmm. we call that courage. Mm-hmm. And I always say courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the presence of it and going on anyway. And so when people see a dancer and they say, wow, there's some, there's some kind of electricity. I feel like I'm not only seeing that dancer, I can feel the dancer. I can do that. They say that about daily dancers a lot. Well, that's because perhaps this journey has not been as graceful and easy as one would imagine. Mm-hmm. And that creates character. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you're not going to have fears. It's not that you're not going to be affected by all of the noise in society telling you what you ought to look like and what you ought to be and what you ought to sound like. And, you know, you talk like a girl, you just <laughs> all of those kinds of things. You know, I was mm-hmm. bullied so much. I carried a hammer in my dance bag mm-hmm. to school wow. because Did I was really? physically threatened. So, At some point, though, I forgot to put the hammer in my bag because the hammer was somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. This notion that regardless 
of what anybody says, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's a muscle, just like the muscles of the body as a dancer, that's a muscle that you face and you have to build all the time. I mean, imagine that having to go out on that stage in front of thousands of people and be that vulnerable. And then the difficulty of a dance career, the brevity of a dance career, you know, these are strong individuals who choose this course. And so already there is something in the training, I think that takes them beyond the physical, but also creating the resistance for all of the things that they have to deal with in terms of the negativity of stereotyping. So much of what you just said is so powerful. What I hear you saying is when you think of people who stumble or they're up against so much, you always think, oh gosh, I wish the path was easier for them. But the Mm. truth is that that difficult path is making them stronger than the person who got to just slide right in, that Mm -hmm. they have more to offer. They bring greater kinetic energy. They bring a greater sense of who they are and what they have to offer to the world. And they really, in that struggle, are creating their own power. Exactly. Exactly. I think too often we want to sort of find ways to get around the work, right? (laughs) (laughs) just get around but if you sometimes take those shortcuts you can find yourself perhaps at the top of the heap but at Mm. some point the cracks will show Mm. that you you're missing some information Mm. right yeah oh that's good that's really good robert and everyone wants a shortcut but you don't but if you knew that the shortcut was going to make you deficient would you still want the shortcut Exactly. I don't think so. I don't know. I think sometimes we are given the notion that to struggle is to be defeated in a way. Right. You know, I had to struggle. I mean, and and, listen, this this I know to be true, Um, even sometimes with dancers, with anybody. Sometimes there are people who can who are very quick. Right. They can pick up the combination in the class faster than anybody. Mm -hmm. I wasn't that person. I had to go home. I had to like, do it over and over, you know, and all that. But once, once I got it into my body, mm-hmm. it was much more, um, I don't know, it was much deeper mm-hmm. than if I had just gotten it. Because sometimes you can have the other affliction. When you pick up fast, it's just you memorize quickly, mm-hmm. but you don't know what the words mean. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that person that has to like read slowly, blah, blah, blah. They start to sort of embody it in a different way. And I was Mm -hmm. that person who struggled Mm -hmm. with learning. So I think that there's some lesson in there, like we're saying, that is very much the story of Alvin Ailey. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the struggle in his work, you see the struggle in his life, but you also see that he has created this space for so many people to stand up on the stage and tell their stories Mm. because of his struggle. Mm. I mean, that's to me why this company is still so important and still so many people want to see this company. When George Floyd was murdered and Mm. the country went into this reckoning, that summer of reckoning, and we, we saw it on the TV, we lived it. We were, I lived, I lived in downtown Chicago. I saw it every day. I'm just wondering, how did it impact 
your world and how did it impact your work? Well, you know, growing up in Liberty City, I, as a kid, witnessed civil unrest, riots because of uh, police shootings of unarmed Black men and women. So I know this from a place long ago as a child of, of, of sort of having that notion of innocence busted open. And so I think that for me, it made me lean in more even, I think as an organization, lean in more to what we do in the space of social justice, mm -hmm. which in some ways is the embodiment of this company, which is why it was started in the first place. Mm. I tend not to simply react. I'm a thoughtful person. And so sometimes when everybody's thinking it's this way, I'm going, you know, I think it's that way. Mm. That's just my battle nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so I thought a lot about, of course, the tragedy of what we were seeing and experiencing. But I also thought about the beauty of what we were seeing, mm. of people coming together, of mm -hmm. people supporting each other, calling on each other, raising their voices together in protests mm -hmm. or just in support. Mm -hmm. I remember someone saying this, sometimes when you're at your lowest is when you should say thank you. Mm. And now I, at the time, didn't understand that. And I will let people interpret that as they wish. Mm. But it is sometimes when you feel that there is nothing beautiful about the world is when you should go look at a tree in the fall. When you should go and listen to a beautiful song. Pessimism is some, and anger is sometimes in much more easily accessible, right? Than pushing against that and saying, I'm gonna create something beautiful I'm going to create light in this darkness. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what my dancers were doing at the time mm -hmm. when we were working on digital content mm -hmm. to put out for people. That to me is the statement. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is that one always remembers, and Maya Angelou would always say this, it's a quote from Terence, who was a playwright and a slave of the Roman Empire. And he said, I am a human being and nothing human can be alien to me. Mm. That's to me what I saw during that time. That's what I saw with George Floyd with the knee to his neck. Mm. I am a human being and nothing human can be alien to me. And if we could just remember that <laughs> yes. in these times of national tumult, I think that we'd be better off. Yeah, that's beautiful. That really is. When, when you have to speak in, in large groups, whether they're, they're dancers or whether they're non-dancers, what, what is the number one question people ask you? Oh, wow. That's... <laughs> Often I'm asked, what's your inspiration? Mm -hmm. What is your inspiration? Because I could imagine if one isn't a dancer or a choreographer, that it's a mystery that you go into a room and then you start moving around and people follow you and then all of a sudden you have a, a dance like what is that about <laughs> and, and 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 is your inspiration do you start with a thought or how do you begin no often I start with the music in the same way that my artistic journey started playing piano mm -hmm. and singing mm -hmm. 
in some ways, I'm just a frustrated soprano with a bass baritone <laughs> voice. <laughs> you're you're musically inclined before you're dance inclined. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that my dances. What I'm trying to get the audience to do is hear the dance and see the music. Mm-mm. Ooh, that's good. Because and oftentimes when I was that person, if if I loved it, the piece of music or a song by Sarah Vaughan or Ella Fitzgerald, Nina Simone, I would make my friends listen. And I'd say, now listen to this part, listen to this note, the way she transitions into this next, listen to this phrase. So that obsession, which of course you can't listen because I'm telling you to listen while the thing is happening. um, (laughs) Once a director, always a director, always directing. But that's what I feel I do with the dances. I'm asking the audience, listen to this thing that I heard. I mean, it's just incredible. And listen to this note, listen to this transition, listen to this, isn't this incredible? I feel like that's the, that's the thought bubble that's happening above the dance. Yeah. How can I get people as excited about this piece of music as I am? And how can we visually tell that story? As I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, I always love to hear where people's favorite restaurant is. Mm. Can, Can you share your favorite restaurant in New York City? (laughs) <laughs> That's a really hard one. I know. And you know, one thing starts to think now, wait, who who am I going to offend? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I love this. And part of it is proximity, right? There's, there's a restaurant right next to City Center where we'll be during our season for the mm-hmm. first time back after so many months. Yeah. Year and how many months? Congratulations, um, by the way. Yeah, in December. December 1st through the 19th. But there's a restaurant right next door called Milos. And it's sort of Greek. Kind of it's amazing. Oh. Oh, the fish alone. You get to pick out your own fish. It is the flavors of Santorini. You can feel the sun on your face. And the, exactly. oh, the squeeze of the lemon. I, I love that place. Yeah. yeah. And they make, you know, as a person who comes from Florida, you know, and I know about a crab cake. My friend Carolyn Adams always says, ooh, this crab cake has crab in it. <laughs> like actual crab. <laughs> yeah, that's rare. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yes, and I so, do. yeah, I love it. I love it because it's fresh ingredients. It's simple, right? But it, 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 it does the trick. But when I kind of want that feeling of home, you know, often I'll go to Sylvia's, yeah. you know, and get some collard greens and yes. stuff that I grew up on. Yes. You know, kind of remember all of that there aren't that many spots in new york where you can get some really great soul food yeah but but it is it is an emotion soul food is an emotion exactly sometimes you know you just okay i I need some fried chicken i know yes yes i'm with you i'm with you well i i wish we were dining together at milos or sylvia's Um, but but maybe in the future i would love to to raise a glass to you and your incredible career and also to the work that you've done with alvin ailey into the future post-pandemic as we emerge fingers crossed to Mm. a healthy wonderful a new season of of our existence where yes. we can really take part in live uh, theater and music. I, I really wish you the best, Robert. This conversation has been really nourishing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, 
American national, spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.